Amen. All of God's people said amen. amen. You know, um, like Sankey and Moody, next year we got an exhausting ministries all over in London, Edinburgh, Belfast, Sydney. So get ready, brother. Save your energy. <laughs> We've got a, all the stuff that has been canceled because of COVID is now going to flare up next year. Amen. I know many of us, the very first song we've learned to sing as children is that beloved song, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right? We taught our children, that's the first song our children learned to sing. First song I remember singing. But there's something just not quite right about that song. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you figured it out. I'm going to, I'm not tricking you. So just, just hang in there with me, okay? Think for a moment. Here's where I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, okay? Think back at the very first time you heard that Jesus loves you. Just close your eyes. Think of the very first time, whether you'll be 100 or 10 years old. (laughs) Think of the very first time you ever heard that Jesus loves you. Okay. Those of you who remember for the first time hearing that Jesus loves you from mommy and daddy or somebody in the family, raise your hand. Wonderful. Praise God. Well, those of you who remember that they heard for the first time that Jesus loves you was from a friend, a co-worker, neighbor, or preacher, or teacher, or somebody else like that, raise your hand. That's the vast majority of you. Now, here's the crux of the matter. Those of you who have learned for the first time that Jesus loves you from reading the Scripture, raise your hand. Very few, right? So now I get to where I'm talking about. Why? That song, just not quite right. Because the first time you knew that Jesus loves you is not from what the Bible told you right? Somebody else told you. He said, why am I doing this? I'm going to tell you in a minute. Because we are all, every one of us, including your pastor, uh, have been impacted by somebody else. Every one of us, our lives have been changed because of somebody else. Uh, We have been discipled and trained and taught by somebody else. Um, We are all indebted to other people in our lives who have taught us the love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now, as a matter of fact, my wife and I, last Tuesday night, we were on on Zoom with the president of my alma mater in Sydney, Australia, the president of my seminary, and, and we were talking about honoring a certain man who's now with the Lord, and I just said, I owe this man a debt of gratitude. 
because he taught me to love the Word of God, to live for God, to honor the Word of God, impacted me. And in many ways, if you are blessed by this ministry, it's because of that man, indirectly. Now, if you have a person in your life like this, somebody who impacted your life for God and for sound doctrine and for biblical doctrine and for godly living, then praise the Lord. Say that with me. If that person who impacted your life led you to holiness and righteousness in your living, then what? If there's a person in your life who impacted your life, uh, not teaching you his or her opinion or ideas, but the Word of God itself, then what? If that person who is impacted, impacting your life right now and leading you to the very inspired, infallible Word of God, then what? Now, if that person is teaching you to love and respect and grow under the authority of the Word of God, then what? But, but, if someone is speaking into your life by only plucking a verse here from the Bible and a verse there in order to to, to, to kind of put together some sort of crazy theory. That person is misleading you, and therefore, run. What do you do? If someone's speaking into your life and telling you that you need to get unhitched from the Old Testament, that person is misleading you, and therefore, you what? If someone is teaching you that the Bible is inconsistent or some parts of it is irrelevant for our day, he or she is misleading you, and therefore what? Praise God. And I want you to do the same here. If you ever hear me preach a word that is not from the Word of God, not expounding the Word of God, I want you to be running. Here is a possible question somebody might ask. Michael, how would I know? How would I know when somebody is telling me the truth or somebody is not preaching the truth? How do I know? My beloved friends, listen to me. If you forget everything I say today, if you forget everything, there's one word I beg you and I pray to God you will never forget, not just this week, not next week, not just for the rest of your life. And that word is discernment. Can you say that with me? If you do not have discernment, if you are not exercising discernment, if you are not practicing discernment, if you think that one preacher is as good as the other, then you need to carefully listen to the message of Jesus today. I want to speak to the parents and the grandparents just for a moment, okay? My gang. Um, but the parents, not quite my gang, and I'm talking to the grandparents my, my age, but I want to talk to the parents as well. 
And I want to confess to you personally, this is my personal opinion. I always make sure you understand when I'm speaking about me personally. And it is this, if I have to do it all over again as a father, again, I only just speak for myself. I would have worked much harder on training my children in the area of discernment. Now, I thank God, I thank God that He overruled and filled in where I have failed, and He has done a marvelous job. (laughs) Thank God. Praise God. But if I have to do it all over again, beloved friends, listen to me, I would spend more time, more time in training them in the area of discernment. Preachers and Bible teachers listening to us around the world, some of them are listening this afternoon after the message, after their churches. Some are listening, watching us right now. I want to tell you, my beloved friends, if you're watching or you're a pastor, Bible teacher here in this, in this place, I want to tell you your greatest legacy, your greatest legacy that you can give those whom you're leading is to show them how to discern. Let me illustrate this. There was a young man in China who wanted to be an expert in recognizing jade. I've traveled so many times in the Far East. I've seen jade. I've seen fake jade. My Chinese colleague would be walking with me. I said, no, that's fake. That's real. That's fake. That's real. I had no idea. I wouldn't know the difference. This young man wanted to know and be able to distinguish between jade that is genuine and jade that is fake. And so he went to an old man who's an expert on jade. Now, those of you, this is a precious stone comes from Asia. And so he went to this older gentleman, an expert on jade, and he sat him down, and he put a piece of jade in his hand. And he said, just keep feeling this as we talk. And then he kept talking about philosophy, history, all stories. And this young man just had this jade in his hand. And he just kept going, kept going, Then the next session, he did the same thing. The next session, he did the same thing. And the next session, and this young man, in the typical Chinese fashion, very polite toward all the people, but he was getting angry, he was getting frustrated, his thing is wasting of his time. This man is just wasting my time, and I need to tell him. And so the morning he made up his mind, he's going to tell him about this waste of time and all all this thing, before he even opened his mouth. The old man handed him a stone. And the young man immediately yelled. He said, that's not jade. (laughs) What was the old man doing during that time whom the young man thought was a waste of time? What is he doing? He was developing his critical skills so he can literally feel to know the jade from the fake. He lets him sit there hour after hour feeling what jade felt like so much so that immediately, as soon as he put a fake stone in his hand, he recognized it. Oh, my beloved friends, please listen to me. More than any other time in my lifetime, more than any other time, the most desperately needed training is in the area of discernment. 
discernment is not just to distinguish between right and wrong. Discernment is not just that, of course, but it's not only to distinguish between the truth and fake and falsehood. It's not only to distinguish between the, what's primary or what is secondary, but also more importantly to distinguish between what is necessary and what is unnecessary. To distinguish between what is paramount and what is transient. Discernment is between what is okay and what's the best. Without the hard work of discernment, I can tell you right now without hesitation, God is my witness, I can tell you that this per that, that person, any person for that matter, will drift away from the truth. Without that discernment, any person, any person without that discernment, he will drown in a sea of confusion. Without discernment, that person, any person, will wake up one day in the agony of the consequences of her or lack, her lack of discernment. That person is going to pay a tragic price. Now I want to show you the importance of discernment, not for me, but from Jesus. We always go back to Jesus. And so, I want you to turn with me, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, Revelation 2, 18 to, to 29. And if you don't have your own Bible, the Pew Bible, page 1915. Grab it, follow with us. Again, in a moment, I'm going to draw attention to the screen for the reading of the letter to Thyatira. This is one of two of the seven where Jonathan was making the round ten years ago, uh, preaching in Turkey, and, and he happened to read it. Some of you have been here. You've seen it on location with video, but uh, their guide got, or the driver got sick, so they couldn't make it to Thyatira or Philadelphia. So I just want you to hear the Word of God. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I 
have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's the amazing thing about our Lord Jesus' letter to the church in Thyatira. This is the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus in heaven, sending that letter to that church. The amazing thing about this letter, it's the longest letter of all the seven to the least significant town of all the seven. Thyatira was a town of least significance when you compare it with the others, Ephesus and so on, the ones we've been looking at. Thyatira was approximately 40 miles from Pergamum. Let's put this back at the, the, the map we've been looking at. And, and, and as you see, John is in Potamos in exile, and he's writing almost like a, a mailman making the rounds, and not quite a circle, but he started in Ephesus, went to Samaria, then Pergamum. Here's, he is in Thyatira, delivering that letter to the church in Thyatira. And if you weren't here with all these letters, please download them. Watch so you can follow with us. Thyatira was a town that was founded by Alexander the Great. This little town, this Thyatira, its only claim to fame is that it was the headquarters for all the trade unions, all the trade unions. I'm not going to get into that. But I'll tell you some more about these trade unions in a minute. They're very important in this situation. Thyatira's main industry was wool and dyeing of wool, particularly the purple color dyeing of wool. Uh, The patron saint, well, actually, in every city, they're calling the patron god. The patron god, the god of Thyatira was the god Apollo. Read all about Apollo when you have time. But in order to understand the extreme danger that that church was in, in order to understand the extreme danger that many a church in the 21st century is in, you must understand the nature of those trade unions in that town. You see, to hold a job in Thyatira, you have to be a member of the trade union. Again, I'm going to fight the temptation. because I have some dear friends who are teachers and members of the worst union of all, the teachers' union. God bless them. They have to be, they have to join. They don't have a choice. And we know the misery that they're creating in our education system. This is the most powerful union in the nation, if not in the world. But to hold the job, you have to belong to a trade union. You have to be a member of the trade union. You say, well, so far, so good. We know anybody can join a trade union, have your name on the list, pay your dues. Uh, the, the job that I held in Australia in 1970-71, I refused to, to, to join a union, and, and, and they called me a scab. Every time they go on strike, I refused to go on strike. I said, I'm not going to lose that money. I need that money. I'm going to seminary. <laughs> they called me scab, but that's okay. It was fine. That was, I took it as a compliment. But if you're a leather worker... You have to belong to the Leather Workers Union. If you are in a business of dyeing wool, you have to belong to the Dye Workers Union. <laughs> dye, but spelled differently. 
Die Workers Union. If you are a bronze maker, sometimes I just have my own sense of humor. You don't get it, but I, I'm, the one who, I'm the only one who gets it. But that's okay. I laugh all the time when I'm preparing my message. <laughs> the bronze workers, if you're a bronze maker, you have to belong to bronze workers union. But that's not where it stops. Each trade union organization had their own patron god, their own god. Every union has their own god. But that's not the worst of all. Each patron god must be worshipped and honored in a pagan festival. But even that, you can say, well, you just go around and walk around during the festival. You don't have to bow doing this thing. But it's not the worst part of all yet. Wait, wait, wait. As soon as that festival is over, you have to eat the food that was offered to these idols. But that's not even the worst of all yet, because Paul said we are free. You can eat or you don't eat, depending on your conscience. But after you offer the sacrifice to that God, and after you eat the meat that was offered to that God, then you have to participate in the sexual immorality with temple prostitutes at that festival. Now you understand the incredible, severe challenge that the church members in Thyatira were facing. Are you with me so far? You might venture to ask if somebody asked years ago and says, well, don't they have First Amendment? Can they not be conscious objectors? Now, let me tell you something. <laughs> the only reason we have a First Amendment is because the founders were, got it from the Word of God to grant us freedom and is departing from us fast unless God intervenes and God's people wake up in time. But it's not an issue of First Amendment. It's not an issue of conscientious objection. For the Christians in Thyatira who refused to participate in these pagan festivals with its sexual immorality to follow means that they lose their job. What would the believer do? What would believers do? What would the church members do? What would the mega church pastors say? Well, <laughs> one of them, a false teacher, said, no problem, no problem. See, I come from that part of the world. <laughs> no problem. You ask them to do something, no problem. They never do it. They say, no problem. No problem. You need to be part of these festivals so you can witness to them. See, no problem. Uh, you will, how else would you witness to the pagans without being there, participating in these things which run contrary, contrary to the Word of God and the nature and creation that, of God? You can actually have the best of both worlds. You can practice sexual immorality in their festivals and then go to church on Sunday. 
it's okay. No problem. No problem. <laughs> you actually can invite them to come to church with you. And invite them to come to church because our pastor is so progressive, he never talks about sin, so they will feel good. They will get them feeling good about themselves. He never convicts people of sin. He never tells them about sin. He says, that's old-fashioned. Don't miss the irony of this false prophetess who was propagating this deception, this deception. I'm going to come back to her in a minute. But this particular church, the church of Thyatira, they were facing the biggest threat. Their biggest threat, the biggest threat, their biggest threat was not from the pagans. Their biggest threat was not from the hostile religious, blindly religious Jews. No, no, no. Their biggest threat was not from the government. Their biggest threat was coming from the church. Well, that might make you want to weep. It's coming from the inside church. And beloved, listen to me. What was happening in the first century church, the first church, is happening in the last church. I believe with all my heart, we're the last church before Jesus comes back. And full circle in 2,000 years, what was going on in the first church now is happening in the last church. Well, before I get carried away, I want to share with you, today I don't have three-point sermons. I have four. Those of you who are taking notes, write them down. First of all, in verse 19, you see Jesus' commendation. Again, I'll give you the first letter the same so you can remember them. In verses 20 to 23, you see Jesus' concern, deep concern. The word concern is really kind of anemic, but I had to get a, a word that goes with C. <laughs> Thirdly, in verses 24 to 25, you see Jesus' command. And then, finally, verses 26 to 29, you see Jesus' counsel. And here you have it, commendation, concern, command, counsel. Remember those. First, you look at Jesus' commendation. He praises them for their love, faith, and service, and perseverance. And in fact, they're progressing and doing well with that. The believers in Thyatira, the faithful ones, are really working hard. And we are seeing throughout the series of messages I've been telling you that nothing you do for Jesus is wasted on Jesus. And he said himself in the Gospels, not even a glass of cold water that is done in his name is going to be forgotten. Not one. And that is why the Bible said that God loves the cheerful giver. Do you think God loves the stingy giver? Yeah, hello. Yeah. But he has a soft spot for the cheerful giver. That's really what the word means. Something else I don't want you to miss. Please don't miss this. This church in the first century was commended by Jesus for their love. Uh, Like other churches we've been looking at, that church was faithful to Jesus. This church was not ashamed to identify with Jesus. This church um, was, was, was never denying the faith in Jesus. They would never say, I'm not a Christian. 
they'd always identify, and like in the South, they're probably going to church. All of these qualities about them was commended by Jesus, was commended. These people did not just talk about love, they practiced love. They, they were faithful in practicing their love. They probably had soup kitchens for the hungry. They probably had a homeless shelter for the homeless. They probably gave generously to the needs of others. Uh, their faith and love was in action. And Jesus said, this is great. This is wonderful, according to Jesus. That is why he immediately goes to his deepest concern about the church. Secondly, his concern. He moves quickly to say, I have this against you. What is it? You are totally lacking in discernment. And your lack of discernment is showing in accepting false teachers in your midst. They have modeled the gospel with immorality. They have baptized immorality into the church. They have confused the truth with, with, with falsehood. They lack of discernment allow false teachers to teach in the church unabated. And here's that indictment. It's the indictment by Jesus, not by anybody else, not by another preacher, but it is by Jesus. Verse 20, you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself prophetess, and she teaches and leads many of my servants. He's talking about believers now, leading my servants astray, so much so that they are up to their eyeballs in sexual immorality. Now, that's a rough translation. It's a use of translation, but you get what I mean. Of course, we cannot be sure if that woman actually named was Jezebel or it was just a throwback to the Queen Jezebel, the wicked, evil Queen Jezebel, who was married to that weak and vacillating King Ahab, the King of Israel. Queen Jezebel was not Jewish. She was Syrophoenician. She came from the north in the Lebanese area, and was not Jewish. And, and, and she worshipped Baal, and she brought Baal to be worshipped by the Jews, by Israel. And, 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 and King Ahab just let her walk all over the, the nation. You remember that this was all happening during the prophet Elijah. And you remember, in Elijah called fire from heaven, and God sent it, and then he destroyed all the prophets of Baal and made her so mad she wanted to kill him. By the way, did you know that there is a magazine now called Jezebel? Did you know that? Well, I, listen, I'm la always late to the party. <laughs> I just found out about it. <laughs> check it out. No, no, don't check it out. But <laughs> the description line of this magazine goes like this, your guide to everything hot. I'm wondering whether that includes hell. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That tells you something about our culture today. That false preacher in Thyatira like her Old Testament counterpart, succeeded 
in misleading believers, leading believers astray. Just like Queen Jezebel of the Old Testament she, that, that brought Baal worship into Israel, this false teacher was bringing disaster to the New Testament church. I need to explain how that worked, and particularly in that first century. It's the most amazing thing that as soon I always tell you this, and I'm going to tell you again. Every time God does a work, Satan always coming in, nabbing his heel. Every time great things being done, Satan is always imitating it. And it was happening here. You see, it was happening here. So, in the first century, there was a dreadful, dreadful heresy that was invading the church. And that's why you're going to understand all of this teaching when I tell you about it. And now, my beloved friend, listen to me. <laughs> these, these clever guys today think they're coming up with something new that's not new at all. It's an Old Testament. I mean, it's a first century heresy. Now they just put a new dress on it. It's called dualism. Dualism. Can you say that with me? Dualism. D-U-A-L-I-S-M. Dualism. What is dualism? It was deadly teaching. It is deadly teaching, and it's invading many a church today. It was in the mainline denominations when I used to be part of that. Now, it jumped into the evangelical church. Listen very carefully, please. Have your discerning antenna out because you will hear it and you will see it. Here's how it goes. Since God is really interested in the spirit or the soul of the person, therefore, watch out this one. As soon as they go to therefore, you need to run. Therefore, it doesn't matter what you do to the body, right? I mean, it sounds good, doesn't it? It's a lot of poison. So you can do with your body whatever you want. My body, my decision, right? You heard that? <laughs> and Jezebel was saying, hey, guys, don't deny Jesus. Hey, guys, don't renounce your faith. Hey, guys, don't turn your back on your Christian faith. As long as you remember that God doesn't care about your sex life. Hmm. I can tell you, if I heard that once from church leaders, I've heard it many times. This, what this false teacher was teaching. She was teaching dualism. This is what many false preachers today is preaching in megachurches today. And many back then fell for it, and many today are falling for it all over again. And after all, listen, you have to understand, it appeals to our sinful nature. It appeals to our lower nature. The Bible said, sin is pleasurable for a moment. And certainly we have a generation that lives for the moment. Some people in the church probably saying, hey, don't judge her. Don't be judgmental. <laughs> She's entitled to her opinion. Shh. She's raising a lot of money for the church. 
She's recruiting a lot of people, and the church is filled because of her. Please listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 18, 6. I want to tell you, at 73, I still find that verse, these two verses, terrifying. And that's when somebody walks up to me and said, how can I pray for you? I said, you pray that I finish strong. Okay, if you want to pray for me, you pray that I finish strong. Can I get an amen? amen. Well, some of you will pray for me, but that's okay. The Lord forgive the rest of you. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus said. And those of you who've been to Israel with me or with, uh, in, and, and you got, if you went to the house of Peter, particularly where there's a, a, an old yard there, right next to Peter's house, where you see these huge uh, millstones. It's, they're huge. Now, I grew up knowing them for milling wheat. In Israel, they use them for milling, for, for, for squeezing olives. They're huge. He said, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me, we're not talking about people outside, those who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to, to hang around his neck one of these millstones and be drowned in the deepest sea. That's why when I stand here, even though I've been preaching for 50 years, I stand with trepidation. I never want to mislead anyone. If it's not in the Word of God, you're not going to hear it from me. Beloved, Lack of discernment is no excuse because it will lead people astray. So when you hear a preacher say, all that sexual immorality stuff in the Old Testament is all associated with pagan uh, religions, uh, but now in the New Testament, God doesn't care, and His grace will cover it all. Send to your heart's content. And when you hear that, you do what? God bless you. I love you. I really genuinely love you. You're the greatest congregation. And that is why, thirdly, Jesus commands them. He commands them. He doesn't suggest. He's not saying, hey, here's something you can take or leave. He's not. Here's a recommendation. No, 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 no. It's a command. He doesn't give them an option. He commands them. He commands them to do what? He commands them to repent. Isn't gracious our God is? How gracious He is. He's gracious. He's gracious. He gives them one more opportunity to repent. He gives them one more opportunity to turn around. He gives them one more opportunity to turn their backs on sexual sin. He gives them one more opportunity to turn their backs on that false teaching. And if they don't, they will face the bed of suffering. I was going to elaborate on that, but I'm, I won't. It, it would tear me up. Oh, I'm going to go quickly to what he says to the faithful ones. The faithful ones who refuse to be defiled by this false teaching, he said, hold fast <laughs> until I come. 
stand firm until I come. So it was his commendation, concern, command, finally, his counsel. Look at verse 26 with me, please. Verse 26. To those who overcome, he will give them authority over nations. Now, beloved, that's incredible. Just think about it. You know, I hear the media sometimes, you know, they say, the president of the United States, the most powerful man on earth. And I check him and say, God bless you. How ignorant you are. He's not powerful at all. He's powerless when it comes to God. Now, thank God. His, he heads up one nation. They call him the most powerful man in the world. Jesus said, the faithful ones are going to rule nations in the plural. <laughs> in the plural, not just one nation. Some believers sometimes get so bogged down, they forget that we're going to reign and rule with Christ. Some believers are so busy with the trash of this world, they forget about the gold that awaits them. Some believers are so bogged down with the mud of this world, they forget the awesome power that will be ours to exercise. Amen. Why is Jesus saying that only the faithful ones are going to exercise power over nations? Don't miss this. If you missed everything, don't miss this one. Don't miss this one. Why? Why only the faithful ones? Why? Why only the faithful ones? Why are they? Because the faithful ones, when they reign and rule with Christ, they're going to enforce the righteousness and the holiness of Christ. They're going to have Christ's delegated authority. We have some of His delegated authority now, but then we're going to have the full delegated authority of Jesus. Question. How in the world will the unfaithful believers enforce the righteousness and the holiness of Christ when they're not living it here and now? <laughs> They'll make a mess of it. They'll make a mess of it. They're making a mess of it here. They'll make a mess of it there. You see, in the gospel, one of the things my mother <laughs> literally drummed into my ears in the early years of growing up that I've never forgotten. The verse always, always had me memorized. The very first verse, those who honor me, I shall honor, says the Lord. And beloved Jesus, repeatedly in the gospel, repeatedly, I don't know how many times, I didn't count them, is saying, he who is faithful with little is going to be faithful with much. He who is faithful with this earth goods is going to be faithful with the eternal goods. He who is faithful in this life will be given great authority in the life to come. And secondly, Jesus said that he will give his faithful ones the morning star. Can you say the morning star? What's the morning star? Jesus. You're going to have no less than Jesus himself. It means that we're going to share his glory. Glory to God. Listen, please. When you turn your back on the darkness of this world, you will receive his, the light of his glory. When you give up Jezebel, you receive Christ when you resist the allure of Satan, you're going to receive the morning star himself. When you turn your back on sin and compromise, you'll receive the glory of Jesus. I don't know about you, 
You don't want to shout? Give him glory. I was having one man revival just thinking about this throughout the week. Even though we had all kinds of problems, Satan was fighting us, everything, but plane canceled and I couldn't fly, I had to fly later. It was a two-hour sleep one night, and I went in there in New England and preached in the Moody Center, and twice spoke to hundreds of pastors in the afternoon, then I got up and preached again, and here I am, came back last night, and I'm preaching the Word of God, and I'm still getting a revival. Would you listen to your older brother just for a moment? I'm, almost about, I'm about to finish. Two things. I pray to God you'll never, 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 ever forget. Discernment will keep you from falling into false teaching. Don't forget that. Please don't forget that. Write it down. Write it in your Bible. And secondly, faithfulness to God's Word will give you a share in His glory. Will give you a share in His glory. Lord Jesus, with all my failures and with all my foibles and with all my shortcomings and inadequacy, I come to you together with my Dear friends, dear brothers, my brothers and sisters, and the brothers and sisters of Jesus, and in the old words of the Archbishop Cranmer in the 1400s, oh God, without you, we're not able to please you. Mercifully grant, mercifully grant that we seek to please you with every ounce of energy and with every moment of time that you give us. Well, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people say, praise the Lord. You stand up and bless the Lord in song.